Let's get into the Word. Psalm 34, verse 9 this morning. We've only studied one verse so far. And I want to talk this morning about the fear of the Lord. When you hear the phrase, fear of the Lord, or fear of the Lord, how do you define it? Tell me what you think. Reverence. Reverence, okay, good. Awe. Awe. Respect. Okay. Reverence, our respect, that's a good start. Trembling. Trembling. Any other thoughts? Scared. Okay, not a bad fear, but a healthy fear. I have a healthy bad fear. Okay, okay. you just process that. Healthy. <laughs> I think it's healthy to not, to believe his wrath. Good. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, the Bible uses the word fear three hundred times plus in reference to God, and when we hear the word fear, we usually think of the negative, right? I'm fearful of heights. I'm fearful of snakes. Uh, a couple years ago, we were doing a baptism, and thank the Lord, we baptized the last person, and we prayed, and we were sitting there. It was a very emotional moment, and all of a sudden, a little girl on the shore yelled, snake! And I looked at the water, and about where Dave Sandrich is, there's a big snake slithering right toward me. <laughs> we were done with baptisms at that point. I don't like snakes. I'm fearful of those things. I'm fearful of heights. I'm fearful of uh, the future of the country. A lot of things we're fearful of, right? But, but in this case, when you talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not a negative, it's a positive. And we have to see it that way because fear of the Lord is absolutely necessary if we're going to walk with the Lord. You cannot respect, you, excuse me, you cannot follow, you cannot love, you cannot give your life to somebody you don't respect. You, you will not do that. That's why so many people are struggling right now to be political with who to vote for. Because so many people, and I'm not speaking myself, but, but you look at the, at the polls, like 68% of people don't respect either candidate. So they're like, what do I do? And I keep hearing the phrase lesser of two evils, which we can talk about another time. But, but if you don't respect somebody, it really makes it hard to follow them and to trust them and to love them. So I want to give you a sentence this morning that, that's kind of our main spiritual principle, and it's in two parts. The first part is fear of the Lord drives everything in our lives. Fear of the Lord drives everything in our lives. If there is a lack of fear, if, if you don't respect God, you don't care about God, you, you don't have any, any real awe of God, you, maybe you don't even think there's a God. When there is a lack of fear, we become spiritually careless, we become kind of cold and hard-hearted, we become indifferent, we don't care, and, and that affects, believe it or not, our attitude, our relationships, our work, it affects everything in life. And, and people all around the world can deny that this morning, well, I don't need to fear God, there is no God, I don't care, they can deny that, but I guarantee you it affects them. So where there's a lack of fear, there's, there's a, a hardness of heart and an indifference toward God and toward many things. Where there is an abundance of fear, and this is the sentence I really want you to get this morning, where there's an abundance of the right fear, it will align our hearts and minds to be right. And once our heart and mind are right, everything else is right. It's like I gave you the illustration yesterday about my bad ankle and my bad knee and how it affected my back. When things are out of line, I want you to get this again. When things are out of line, when they're unhealthy in one spot, they're going to be unhealthy everywhere. And when the unhealthy part is our heart and mind, that really affects everything. 
So our heart has got to be right with the Lord. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, when you fear God in the right way, that's the beginning of wisdom. If you're struggling this morning, you know, what's the Lord doing in my life? And, and how do I find uh, what, what I'm supposed to do? Even if you don't like the Lord at this point, how, how am I supposed to figure out what's next? If you will begin with the fear of the Lord, if you'll begin, and we're going to define in a couple minutes with that, that's where wisdom begins to germinate in your heart. That's where you start to get understanding and insight and clarity on what you're supposed to do. And if we could learn this one principle, how we should live, starting with how we fear the Lord, that will get us in the right place. But if we will not fear the Lord, and I say this to, to people that have been saved maybe 15 years, if, if you will not fear the Lord, there will be no wisdom. You'll just be confused. You'll just be uh, living in the wrong kind of fear. You'll, you'll be stressed out. There won't be any peace in your heart because we know from Philippians 4 that when your heart and mind is right, there's peace that passes all understanding. So if you're in turmoil and you're stressed and, and, and you just can't get settled in your heart, then ultimately everything comes back to fear of the Lord. Everything comes back to getting your heart and mind in the right place. So let's define this morning, and we're short on time, so I'll do this quickly. Fortunately, I had less notes this morning. Let's, let's define what it means to fear the Lord, and I'm going to give you three main definitions of what it means to fear the Lord. The first one's already been said by a couple people. The first meaning of fear of the Lord is awe and reverence. Awe and reverence. This is the humbling sense of absolute and utter amazement at who the Lord is, and the complete understanding that before that God, who is awesome over all things and authority over all things, the complete understanding that we are sinful and we're unworthy of him. Every person at some point in their life needs to come to that understanding that I am completely unworthy to stand before the holy God. And we'll talk about why he's holy and, and then what he does about that. But, but we have to come to that point of unworthiness and brokenness and humility. Now, there's an amazing new video game that's out uh, called No Man's Sky, and I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's about exploring space, and the designers of this game, it took them I don't even know how many years to put together, but they created an algorithm that created this, this open world, and the open world has 18 quintillion planets, and every single planet in this game you can explore and go to, you can discover it, and every one of the 18 quintillion planets has its own ecosystem, its own animals, its own sky. Everything about it is unique. So you'll never get to the, to the end of the game, which I think is pretty amazing that they let you have a game that you never exhaust. But while I've been amazed by that, and that's an incredible number of planets, that doesn't even come close to the amount of planets and stars and galaxies that the true creator has made. Mm -hmm. And I want to give you some pictures this morning, just some evidence of how awesome God is. And this is the first one. I want to show you some pictures from, from the, the universe. So uh, go ahead and go to the next one if you would. Whoa, slow down. Okay, there you go. Okay, you can go to the next one. Okay. These are nebula. Go ahead. 
Okay. You can go to the next one. Okay, you can go to the next one. That's called the Horsehead Nebula. Okay, you can go to the next. That's Orion Nebula. That's called, hold on for there for a second. That's called the Pillars of Creation. Scientists named it that. <laughs> Pillars of Creation. Okay, one more. That's called the Eye of God. Scientists named it that, but there's no God, right? God didn't create that. That just was formed by two things smashing together that we don't know where the two things came from, of course, but but the universe just created itself. No, it didn't. God created that. God created that. And I want to show you a video, even though we're tight on time, I really want to show you this this morning, a video about the vastness of creation. Now, some of you have seen videos like this before. But I want us to get a sense this morning as we sit in a valley in Iowa, okay? And, and it's so easy in life for us as humans to become so full of ourselves, right? Look at our candidates. It's so full of ourselves, like I'm the end-all, be-all, I'm, I'm God, I'm my own God, and, and I'm bigger than anybody, and I have authority, and I have control. But let's see an example of just how much control we have. Just watch this. Uh, oh, boy, that was a long, that's the long one. All right, well, just run it a couple minutes. We'll see how it goes. No, that's the, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. I gave this to him at the last minute, so it's my fault, not his. Um, can we find that one that's incomprehensible? It's like four minutes long. I'll, I'll talk it. I'm going to give him a minute. If we can't do it, we'll show it to you tomorrow. But Well, I don't want to. I'm going to keep talking. So let's keep talking for a minute, and then if he finds it, he'll tell me. And if he doesn't, then we'll find it for tomorrow. I, I gave it to him at the last minute because I was eating heart attack toast, which was really good this morning, wasn't it? It was yummy. All right. So we've seen the pictures of the planets. We've seen the pictures of the stars. We've seen these nebula that are out there, and they're just light years and light years and light years away. Even in doing research for this morning, I was stunned by how big, again, the universe is. And our God created that universe. Let me read you a verse from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 40, 26. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all, listen, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. When you look at the sky, were you guys up at the zipline last night or did you look at the sky last night? You see the heat lightning that was going on and the beautiful moon and the clouds were up there. When we look at those things, how can we not be absolutely amazed by God's power and his authority, that the vastness of the universe? And yet, listen now, he says, I love you more than you can comprehend. And David wrote, what, are, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The fear of the Lord begins with awe. It begins with reverence. And there really should be no question about that because the God who created the galaxies, the God who created those pictures that we saw, the God who owns all things, says, I want to show you love and mercy and grace that you don't deserve, and I'm going to send my own son to die for you and to rise again to deliver you, and I'm going to declare you my own. 
Now, I, I don't ever want to stop being blown away by that. God deserves our awe and reverence. So let me give you the second definition. The second fear is the foundational fear of offending him. This one feeds out of the first one, and it combined with our natural and spiritual understanding of sin and of God, this is the concern, and, and I, I want us to really get this because this is so lacking right now in our culture, and I would say even in the American church. This is a, a concern that we would ever insult or disrespect or be an affront to God's holiness through our actions. Now, this one is exponentially more acute for someone who's saved, someone who knows what it is to be delivered out of sin and to be forgiven uh, because of Christ. And yet I think what's so disconcerting as we look around right now in 2016 is the fear of God is so absent in our culture. It is so, ab in fact, fear of anything is absent in our culture. You don't fear the police. You don't fear your parents. You don't fear anything. And, and at the bottom line of that is fear of God. And not only uh, does that seem to be rapidly increasing as a component of our culture, but, but culture is openly proud about it. The defiance of God, the disrespect of God, people now are, are, are thrilled about it. Less than 40 years ago, I was thinking about this because I'm old enough to know, less than 40 years ago when somebody was in blatant sin, when there was something that was disgraceful and shameful, it was treated that way. Now it's celebrated and legislated. And what becomes even more of a concern is that casual acceptance of disrespect of God has now started to creep into the church. And there's open worldliness, and there's a lack of shame, and there's a sense of carelessness. And, and what struck me last week as I was finishing this is, it's not among the younger generation, it's among us. The millennials are not the problem. Generation Y is not the problem. I was like, wow, they're so disrespectful. They don't have any sense of authority. And, and while that's true, remember what it was like to be a teenager? We didn't either. The problem with disrespect of God is not among the millennials. And if it is, then it's our fault. The problem I see about disrespect of God is among people my age who have lost any sense of real fear of the Lord. And let me tell you some of the ways that shows up quickly. It shows in the way we talk. Being careless with the name of God, uh, gossiping, uh, 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 slandering people, disrespecting people with the way we talk. Anger slips into social media. I was reading a post the other day. I'm not on Facebook too much anymore because it depresses me, but I was on there and I was reading something and I just spent about 10 minutes, I don't know why, going through the whole thread of responses. And with each thread, it got nastier and nastier and nastier. And this was Christians writing. It shows in the way we talk. It shows in what we look at. The prioritization of media over family. The prioritization of media in our lives where we're always looking at a device. The easy access to holy, unholy images that has engulfed society. Among men and women, 50% of men that go to church look at pornography. That's a disgrace. Women struggle with pornography too. We're always looking at images. We're not building relationships. So what we talk, what we look at, the way we live, adultery, divorce rates, use of alcohol, it parallels the world. 
It's not any different. There's, there's really no difference in terms of how we live and how they live in terms of some of those areas. And then you get into church ministry. The Bible's been devalued. Poor theology just abounds. Prayer and emphasis on prayer is non-existent. Youth groups are declining. Performance and worship is becoming the norm. It just keeps going on and on. And the point I'm making, not to discourage us this morning, is that it is becoming increasingly evident that the American church really doesn't fear the Lord. And it would not be hyperbole to say that most Muslims have a greater fear of Allah than the average Christian has of the one true God. How do you know? Well, Paul, that's an outlandish statement. Is it really? Because they're dying for their faith. Their, their, their plan is to take over the world. I wonder if the American church, the Christian church in the world, has a plan to take over the world in terms of Jesus Christ, who's the one true God. So we struggle with this area, and this is something that, that I believe in terms of fear of offending the Lord. I think every day that prayer needs to be, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me that passion. Give me greater wisdom. Give me greater desire for you. Do we pray that? Or do we just kind of go through the day, a couple days pass by, we're so crazy and there's so much stress, there's so much to do and now the kids are going back to school and we're just going to be boom, 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 boom and sports are starting and church is going to crank up again and, and it's just going to be December before we know it. Are we going to wake up every morning and say, Lord, give me a greater fear for you this morning. Give me a greater sense of I don't want to do one thing today that offends you. Reason number three, and I think this is the reason why we struggle with reason number two. Reason number three is obeying the Lord because of how much we love and respect him. Now, this is not an obligatory fear. This is a compelled fear. It's a fear to show love in return because of the great love he's shown to us. To show honor to him because he's the only one that's worthy of honor. To have a heart that's sensitive to the Lord and have zero desire to ever offend him. To make sure we don't displease him in any way. Because listen, when you love somebody, you don't want to do anything to offend them. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to dissatisfy them. You don't want to dishonor them. You don't want to make them feel bad about themselves. You just want to give and give and give and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. That's what love is. So if our love doesn't have respect, then it's not really love. If we don't respect the Lord, if we don't fear the Lord, if we don't have a sense that I can't ever offend the Lord, then James would say, how can you say that you actually love him? Because if your actions don't meet your words, then your words, basically, James is saying, are ineffective. You're, you're, you're lying to yourself that you really love him. Now, let me give you an example of this, and we want to move quickly. Go to Daniel chapter 1 for a moment. Daniel chapter 1. You know whether you love somebody by how you treat them and by how they feel about the way you honor them. And Daniel 1 is great evidence of this. We know the historical account. Judah's overthrown by Babylon. Judah's the lower two tribes. Nebuchadnezzar takes them as prisoners back to Babylon. This is when the nation really fell apart. They had already divided Judah and Israel, two tribes, ten tribes. They had lived apart. They'd even fought each other. Then God takes both of them into captivity. Uh, Israel goes to Assyria. Judah goes to Babylon. Judah, the lower two tribes, 
go where Nebuchadnezzar is. And Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to indoctrinate them as Babylonians. He took, uh, Hitler took a page out of Nebuchadnezzar's playbook because the plan was get the youngest and the brightest, have them learn the culture, educate them, clothe them with the finest clothes, give them the finest food, teach them how great it is here in Babylon. And after a while, they'll like it so much that they'll never want to go back to their own country, even if they could leave. So Nebuchadnezzar takes the finest of Judah, and in that crowd, in that group of youth that he grabs, he grabs Daniel, and he grabs three friends. Their Hebrew names are different, but he names them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel and these youths are taken for three years, and they're, they're going to have the finest of the king. They're going to live near the palace. They're going to get the king's food. They're going to be treated like absolute royalty. Because as Hitler said, he who owns the youth owns the future. You see how important it is that we as parents and we as grandparents train our kids in the, the way that they should go. That they know and trust and love the Lord. Because the culture and the government is trying so hard to influence and to indoctrinate them. And the enemy's greatest desire for our wonderful children, some are here, some are out there, our enemy's greatest desire for those kids is to corrupt them. He wants to pull them away from us and he wants to corrupt them and change them. And teens, I wanna encourage you, you've got to stay close to the Lord. You've got to study the word of God, come to youth group, come to Bible study, Learn to study the word of God so it gets in your heart because you're going to face opposition that honestly none of us can understand because we didn't deal with it. Not on your level. And you guys need to study to show yourselves approved and stand by your convictions. Well, Daniel and his three friends were part of the group that was chosen to be the future of Babylon. But there was a problem with Nebuchadnezzar's plan. And the problem with Nebuchadnezzar's plan was Daniel feared the Lord. Daniel feared the Lord, and because of that fear, not the fear of breaking the Mosaic law, not the fear of obeying out of obligation, not the fear of acting as a Jew, Daniel purposed in his heart to love and respect the Lord. Look at verse 8 real quick. Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel, God granted Daniel favor and compassion sight of the commander of the officials. The commander said, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who's appointed these things. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? You'll make me forth my head. In other words, the king's going to notice that you guys are different and that I'm not feeding you right. And he's going to cut off my head. But Daniel said to the overseer, please test your servants for 10 days let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and in the other youths who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in the matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their food and the wine and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. David, excuse me, Daniel even understood all sorts of visions and dreams. At the end of the days when the king had specified for presenting them, the commander presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. 
And the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, and the, here are the Hebrew names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the Lord consulted them, he found them ten times than better than all the magicians. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now, what's the point there? The point there is this is not a game to Daniel. Remember the, the, the woman in Zarephath who had to make the choice whether she was going to taste and see that the Lord's good or whether she was going to do her own thing. Well, Daniel says, here, we've got we've to do this. And just because he's chosen and one of these select Jews doesn't mean he gets a free ride. If he disrespects Nebuchadnezzar, who is an unbelievably proud man, if he disrespects him and he looks different, the, the overseer goes, they're going to cut off my head and then they're going to cut off your heads. But Daniel's not playing. And here's where it's important. This is a matter of deep conviction and deep passion because he knew that the Lord will always honor those who trust him and obey him with a sincere and grateful heart. And Daniel says, look, I fear my God more than I fear that king. I fear my God more than I fear Nebuchadnezzar. So listen, I don't want to give my life any latitude to be like a citizen of Babylon. I'm not even giving my life any latitude to be like a citizen of Judah because I want to be a citizen of heaven. And that's what the Bible calls us as believers. It says we're citizens of heaven. My dad, I was listening to a sermon he preached the other day and he said, if you, if, excuse me, let me start again. He said, if the world loves it, you shouldn't, and if you love it, the world shouldn't. That's a great statement. If the world loves it, promotes it, says this is great, this makes you happy, this will bring you fulfillment, even though it's all temporary, then we shouldn't love that. If we love the Lord, then the world's going to hate us. Jesus said that. If you love me and you stand for me, the world's going to stand against you. So we have to make a decision. Are we going to be Daniel or are we going to give in? Daniel was driven by his taste. He was driven by the fact that his nature was changed and the Holy Spirit had renewed him and he gave his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He was not conformed to the world. He was transformed by the renewing of his mind. And the Bible says in Romans 12 that that's an intentional choice. It's an intentional choice to do that. If we didn't have decisions to make and stands to take, then it would not be presented to us as a command. So to paraphrase Paul, he says, sacrifice yourself in how you act with your body. Be deliberate about not conforming to the world. Develop different tastes. And what I love, when you look back at the text just for a moment, what I love is how eager Daniel is to do that. You can see him standing before this overseer going, hey, listen, we're not going to eat that, okay? You can kill us now if you want, but we're not eating that. But let me tell you, let's try this. And I love, I love the eagerness in his voice. Listen, try this test. Ten days, feed us vegetables and water. At the end of ten days, you come back. We'll be glad to stand right before Nebuchadnezzar. And you show us. You point us out. And if we look different and we look better, then let us do our thing. And the overseer, by God's grace, says, all right, go ahead. He feeds them vegetables and water. Everybody else is gorging on rich food and getting the finest things and desserts. You know, like if I'm so glad they limit us to one dessert, aren't you? 
one of those chocolate. Did you have those chocolate cookies yesterday? Oh, my word. I could have stacked like five of those things together and just eaten them. They only gave me one, and it was kind of small, but I was okay with that. But they're eating cookies and cake and rich meat and sauces and gravies. And Daniel and his friends over here are just eating raw carrots and water. I'm so glad they give us raw carrots and celery here. And at the end of 10 days, they look great. Why did Daniel know that? He knew that because he understood that God will always provide when we obey. Oh, we've got to get that heart. We've got to get that in our heart this morning. God will always provide when we obey. And the, the point we've got to get to in our walk is finding joy in that and finding strength in that because the more we do what's right, the more we benefit and the more we say, this is right. I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, well, when, when our kids were young, where did we go all the time? Went to McDonald's, right? Cheeseburger, fry, drink, and they give you a toy. They loved the toy. We had a lot of McDonald's toys in our basement. But that's how they lure you in, right? There's a toy. Hey, the latest movie's out. They've got the toy. And there are 12 of them, so we're going to have to go 12 times. And we did. Because it's three bucks. Like, feed your kid three bucks. You get a toy. They're happy. Their life is good. And a couple years ago, Jacob said, that's garbage. And Jacob was right. And we knew he was right. And we all kind of made this decision, like we're never going to eat McDonald's again. I have nothing against McDonald's, but, you know, the food wasn't very good. And now we're at a place where we're changing again, chicken and salads and vegetables and, don't, Dad, don't buy chips, uh, you know, for my lunch because I don't need chips. I don't want chips in the house because if we have chips, I'll eat chips. And don't buy cookies. And... And now as you start to eat right, you start to feel better and you start to say, this is the right way to live. What's happened? Your tastes have changed. If I tried to give my kids a piece of broccoli when they were three, they would have been like, give me a McDonald's cheeseburger. I want that and give me a toy. But now as you get older, right, your tastes change. Can we have broccoli tonight? <laughs> sure, that's great. It's also cheaper. As we mature in the Lord, our tastes should change. And we'll only do that. This is, the, this is the conclusion. We'll only do that when we love and serve the Lord the way Daniel loved and served the Lord. He takes a risk. He says, I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good according to my faith. And God not only protected him and sustained him, but look at the four things real quick. Look at the four things that God did. He gave him a position of prominence. He used him eventually to lead Nebuchadnezzar to faith. And by leading Nebuchadnezzar to faith, who was absolutely defiant to God, built his own statue to himself and told everybody in the nation, you've got to bow down to me. Eventually, God humbles him and brings him to his lowest point. And Nebuchadnezzar cries out to God and God saves him. So Daniel's influence not only is to take a stand, but, but he gets a position of prominence. He leads Nebuchadnezzar to the Lord. Then he influences other people because he led Nebuchadnezzar to the Lord. 
And by doing that, he also strengthened his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So before Nebuchadnezzar gets saved and he builds this big statue of himself and he leads everybody, you got to bow down. And when the trumpet blow, there are three guys still standing. Guess who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, hey guys, you need to bow down. They're like, we're not bowing down to anybody but God. No, really, guys, you're going to go in the furnace if you don't bow down. We're not doing that because we saw our friend take a stand. Do you think there was any point where they said, where Daniel said to them, hey, hey guys, you want to do this? I don't see anything in the text that says that. Daniel took a stand. He influenced others. And listen, when we take a stand for the Lord, we will influence other people. Daniel influenced them. He influenced the nation. He influenced the wicked pagan king. He influenced all of Babylon. And this morning in Iowa in 2016, he's influencing us. All because he feared the Lord. All because he took a stand. Go back to Psalm 34 just for a second. Let's pray. David writes, fear the Lord, you his saints. Now, saints is kind of an uncomfortable word for us Protestants, right? How many grew up Catholic? Okay, a couple of you? You know what saints are, right? You pray to the saints. We're kind of squirrely about the word saints because we don't believe in praying to the saints. We believe in praying to Jesus. But the word saints here is used by David, and it's a beautiful, wonderful word in the Hebrew language. It means to be holy and set apart. Oh, fear the Lord, you who are holy and set apart. Those are two words that apply to everyone who knows and loves the Lord. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, we are to cleanse ourselves from the flesh and move toward perfect holiness. Here's why, because we fear the Lord. So as saints, as people who love the Lord, who are set apart, who are living to be holy, we're called to live as Christ lives, in fear of God, awe and reverence. Fear, a good, healthy, holy fear that we would ever offend him. And then fear that's driven because we love and respect him because of what he's done for us. Now we as believers are told to take a stand for him. And guys, that's going to be increasingly, increasingly difficult as the days go on. Because the culture is only going to get more resistant. People are going to only hate God more as we move toward the end of time. Whenever Christ comes back, whether it's tomorrow or in 60 years, I don't know how long it'll be. Could be 160 years. People have been predicting it for a long time, but it can happen at any moment. Culture will get hard, but God is faithful. And God will strengthen us, just like he did to Daniel, who said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to serve my God. And God was faithful. David said, I'm not having this Goliath. I'm going to stand for my God. And God was faithful. And God will always be faithful when we obey him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the awesomeness of your power. Lord, we look quickly at those images and they are on the screen and we think, wow, that's really impressive. But those are actually out there in the universe hundreds of thousands of light years away. And you know every star by name. You put every star in the sky. Not one of them is missing this morning. You know every one. And yet, Lord, in the vastness and the richness of creation, 
and the wideness of the universe, you look on us and you are mindful of us and you visit us and you help us because you're a loving and gracious God. Father, I pray this morning as we walk around and as we spend time with our family and as we do things like ride horses and play golf and go kayaking and, and just spend a day in this beautiful place, that we would look around and be awed by your creation and know that you know every leaf. You know every molecule of water up in that lake. You know every molecule of water in the Mississippi this morning. You've got them all counted. The vastness of your authority is beyond our comprehension. And yet, Lord, may we be also more overwhelmed by the fact that you love us. We're created in your image, in your likeness, and you look on us with pity, and you look on us with mercy, and you say, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be adopted by me and be mine. Father, overwhelm us with that truth today. May our hearts be full of the right kind of fear because, Lord, when we have the right fear, it aligns everything else in our lives. Lord, we know the enemy is going to fight now. He's already been fighting us last night. He's fighting us today. Defeat him again. Remove his influence and cause us to see the greatness of your grace and the fact that every one of us can walk worthy of you because of Christ. Help us, we pray today. Give us strength and courage to be people that love you openly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.